This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the 343 Podcast. Joey Cassio joins me again to talk about the U.S. Men's National Team program and some of the most important news that dropped this week. Specifically, on Tuesday, November 12th, 2019, Ernie Stewart held a conference call with American soccer media members to publicly give Greg Berhalter and the U.S. Men's National Team another hall pass. Christian Pulisic, USA's only elite-level prospect on this current roster, was ruled out of the next two matches due to injury. So, what did U.S. soccer do? Damage control. Ernie and company decided it was better to get out in front of this mess and say something to the tune of, win or lose, no problem, Burhalter's job as U.S. men's national team is safe. So, we can chalk that up as another victory for the status quo. As soon as we heard the news, Joey and I decided the right thing to do was to jump on a phone call and record our thoughts about everything that was going down. So in this episode, we discuss how USSF strategy is clearly built on the perception of the program, not the actual program itself and the results that it's producing. We also talk about Greg Berhalter being safe because of what he represents, which is the status quo. And Joey went a little bit further with a comparison of three teams, three nations that failed to reach the 2018 World Cup and how they've rebuilt or not rebuilt their respective programs, USA, Italy, and the Netherlands. As always, you can continue the conversation with us on social media or in the comment section that is available on 343coaching.com. You can reach me at that Croatian guy. Joey is at Casio underscore FG. That's at C-A-S-C-I-O underscore F-G. Or like I said, you can hit us up in the comment section on 343coaching.com. That's also where you can find over 200 educational articles, over 200 episodes of this podcast. Our free seven-week coaching course is available. And we also offer our premium coaching membership program. The premium education program uses proven methods to accelerate your development as a coach and teaches you how to start using gold standard methods to start coaching possession-based soccer. Once again, all of that can be found at 343coaching.com. All right, with that said, let's get into today's episode and my conversation with my good friend, Joey Cassio. Joey, what's up, man? Not much, John, other than uh, a significant couple of days in American soccer, so much to talk about. Yeah, man. Um, I was actually talking with, with somebody earlier today, and I, I mentioned to him that I, I don't I don't know how he can sit inside at a desk all day and not just be glued to you know, the Twitter streams and the news streams about all the just the stuff that's been happening with U.S. soccer or U.S. men's national team specifically over the last couple of days, over the last week or so, it seems like just every day it's, they're just dropping more and more news that people 
are talking about they 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 it's it's weird that there's so much action going on right now and it's really kind of an insignificant time should be an insignificant time but yeah there's just news after news after news it seems like lately which is crazy it is man so what's the uh what's the latest what uh what what caught your attention today uh well probably a good place to start is maybe uh that Pulisic was unavailable uh, to be called in for the two games uh, against Canada and Cuba. Uh, against Cuba, I don't think it matters, you know, not having Pulisic. But against Canada, not having Pulisic can be significant. Um, the expectation should be that we we win. But without, without Pulisic, the main threat uh, in front of goal, it gets a little bit more challenging. And for me, I, I don't have a lot of confidence in Verhalter's ability to prepare the team uh, to perform well, first and foremost, against Canada. And now without Pulisic, that just makes it that much harder. Yeah, it's kind of gnarly. We're in a spot now in American men's soccer that one player goes down and all of a sudden, you know, alarm bells are just ringing like crazy like oh my gosh what's going to happen now that Pulisic's out and you look at the depth chart and you're like well that actually is a big problem because the the next people in the depth chart are are, are nowhere near his caliber uh, especially the, the ones that are called into this camp right um, but uh, yeah so Pulisic's out he's, he's injured um, U.S. soccer has to has to play this game with Canada. So what does, uh, what does this all mean now that, that, that Pulisic's out and U S soccer's entering this game kind of, kind of shaking in their boots. I think at this point, what does what does all that mean to you, Joey? Uh, we, we shouldn't be in this situation where, yeah, like you said, our, our hope is hanging on whether Pulisic is in the team or not. We shouldn't be in this situation. Um, you know, the vast football culture that we have in this country the fact that everything rides on Pulisic against Canada, it's its quite a sad state of affairs, to be honest with you. But it is what it is. And I think uh, it's important to pay attention to the narrative if, let's say, let's say Canada wins. Uh, I, I can see this being used as an excuse where, okay, yeah, we all know Pulisic is the best player. He's the biggest threat in front of goal for the team. He's, quote-unquote, Captain America or whatever. But the rest of the player pool or the rest of this roster is in place based on years and years of mismanagement. You know, the, the, the roster is not strong, and that's a product of many years of work to get to this point. So, yeah, it shouldn't I, – I can see if we lose the game, it's used as an excuse that Pulisic wasn't there. You know, oh, it's, it's all good, guys. We didn't have our best player or whatever. And no, that should not be the narrative. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what ultimately plays out and what is the reaction. And that narrative that you're mentioning has pretty much already been put in place for Mr. Greg Berhalter. And if the unfortunate happens, it, he he's pretty much a protected guy at this point. And, and that's kind of the other big news that came out today, if people haven't heard about it already. Um, and 
by today. I'm talking about Tuesday. Uh, what's the date today? Tuesday. Oh, my watch isn't going. Okay, so November Tuesday. 12th. Yeah, Tuesday, November twelfth. Uh, so the other the other big news that kind of dropped today and and was all over social media was that Ernie Stewart came out and made some comments and kind of just you know to to set up a fortress around the U.S. men's national team program at this point saying that, you know, this one game really doesn't matter when everybody else had kind of been, I think looking forward to this game mean a lot. And some people have even said that, you know, this game was, was more meaningful than it ever should have been. But, um, but people were kind of looking at this game as, as something that could determine, you know, the next steps of the U S men's national team. And then Ernie Stewart came out today and said pretty much the opposite is that, you know, this game, this one game is not going to determine anything. And that Greg Berhalter, Greg Berhalter is safe no matter what, which is, uh, you know, kind of a, kind of a scary thought. So, um, what, what was your, what was your initial reaction to that? Yeah. Complete protection mode, man protection mode of, of Greg and uh, the program at this point under Ernie's watch. Um, some of the other things that uh, were interesting was Ernie shared, uh, you know, he said that we needed to perform. He used that word perform while Burhalter said only a win will suffice. So interesting that, you know, their messaging was a little bit different in, in that aspect. Um, you know, he also shared, I have no fear at all that we are not going to qualify for the world cup again, like just, just diverting attention away from, you know, all of the, I think reaction from the soccer public where there's a lot of concern, a lot of frustration, and he's just saying, Hey, it's all good no problems here but i think it's pretty clear and obvious to all of us that no things are not good we are in serious trouble and i would argue that we're worse off than we were when we were qualifying for the 2018 world cup and that in that ultimate failure i think we're, we're worse off now so they're doing everything that they can to to protect um you know the last couple of years of the process and uh, let's see. One other thing that he shared was uh, he he brought up conspiracy theories and how they're very disrespectful. I thought that that was an interesting thing to address. Uh, I don't think that he would say anything about that unless uh, they felt maybe a little worried about that that narrative being out there, that that message being out there. Uh, yeah. So just a few things that that point to maybe. Uh, some some nerves within U.S. soccer, and felt the need to to throw up the walls and, and protect things. Yeah, the conspiracy thing is interesting to me because you know there's there's very easy ways to you know get rid of the conspiracy theory aspect of of the way people are feeling or thinking right now and and one of those is very 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 easy it's just to come out and just talk openly and honestly with the media with the with the people that are paying attention very closely to the u.s men's national team and that's not something that ernie stewart and jay burhalter have done a very good job of since uh you know since ultimately ernie took over his role and then especially since hiring greg it's almost been just almost like they have like a code of silence 
coming from from U.S. soccer and and almost to the point where you know even Greg thought he could exercise that right and and he he walked off the field without addressing the fans after the last game against Canada and and all kinds of stuff thinking like maybe you know maybe I can play that card too and then he, <laughs> he got destroyed for it to the point where he had to write a he had to write a letter to redeem himself to the to the American Outlaws which I thought was pretty hilarious um, yeah but. Um, another, another interesting aspect that kind of got brought up and on a couple people's Twitter feeds today was, was comparing this Burhalter era and the reasons for ultimately, um, or, or what might ultimately lead to Burhalter getting fired or not fired, uh, comparing that with what happened to Jurgen Klinsmann and even what happened with Bruce Arena. So I, w- I was wondering if you could maybe share some thoughts on, on you know, what did happen with Klinsman and, and comparing that to what's happening right now with Burhalter. Well, John, I think a lot of us know in the soccer public that it's not about the work on the field. It's not about reaching excellence on the field. It is about maintaining the status quo. Klinsman had a coordinated attack against him once, you know, he ultimately spoke out against the status quo. Burhalter is someone who represents the status quo. He's not going to challenge that. So the, the difference in reaction from the media, uh, it, it, it's quite obvious and, and, you know, people want to point to all oh, results. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with, uh, Klinsman was a change agent, uh, that was put into place and they maybe didn't realize exactly what he was. Uh, and then as things evolved, yeah, he, they wanted him out, you know, so the attack started and they couldn't justify you know, getting rid of him until the results went bad. And that's what they used uh, to justify that move. Well, now with Burhalter, like I said earlier, I, I think we are worse off than ever before at this moment in time. And the reaction, um, you know, from, from early today and from the media as well is very soft regarding Burhalter's work to this point. So very, very clear contrast in my opinion but yeah yeah even even the way that the media talks about burhalter and even the way they hint at you know the, the this has been kind of like a failure and and things like that it's nowhere near the way that they painted Klinsman time as like a catastrophe and uh, the way that they painted Klinsman is this guy that's just like a tinker. Uh, this guy that just wants to tinker with his lineup, and he's always changing formations, and he's always trying these new different things. And 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 it's just like they made him seem like such a villain. And with Burhalter, what I'm kind of picking up is that you know the media is giving him a little bit of extra slack because it's a project or it's a process or he's new or there's injuries or these, all these different things. Right. But it's like, yeah, they, they recognize that, Hey, this isn't, this isn't great. But then there's always like a, like a, like a, but like there's, there's always like a excuse that follows it. But with Klinsman, it was always like a knife. 
like no like this like this guy needs this guy's trash and needs to go now and and even today like with the with the backing of ernie stewart like you saw people kind of just yeah just accept it like okay like you know ernie said the, the job's the job's safe okay like no problem ernie said it nobody needs to nobody needs to worry now the strategy is perception and we've seen a pattern since burhalter was put in place the the hype the media hype regarding burhalter comparisons to bielsa comparisons to pep guardiola uh, showing short little clips of inside the national team training sessions. You'd see Rondos, you'd see him, you know, giving a team talk, you'd see his whiteboard. It, that was all a strategy to play to what, um, you know, they think U.S. soccer fans want to see. And what I, what I think is encouraging to me is the reaction mostly from, from the fans has been like, what in the fuck is this? Are you serious? So uh, that that is encouraging to see that. But yeah, like I said earlier, it's not about on the field. It's uh, it seems to be a strategy uh, to create this perception that they think U.S. soccer fans want to see. It's a good point, and it reminds me of two different interviews that I've uh, that I've had in the past and so people can go back and they can look at these and the first one is uh, is somebody that's very you know we've been very critical of and somebody's very critical critical of us as well um, and, and some people are probably gonna laugh when when I when I bring this name up but Bob Bradley and when when Bob was fired from the US men's national team program he he said in, in the interview with me and I think this was the first time that he had ever said it publicly that U.S. soccer cited results as the reason why they fired him. And so, and Bob said, okay, well, let's talk about results. And, you know, the, the results were kind of, uh, you know, not great, but they weren't, you know, they weren't the worst either. So, you know, Bob didn't feel like the results were what warranted, you know, him getting fired. He felt like it was something else, right? Okay. So there's example number one of, of U.S. soccer, you know, making that type of a change uh, for a non-results related reason with Bob Bradley, right? The second one was, uh, when Jurgen ultimately got fired, Gary and I recorded like this mega episode of, you know, what, what did we learn with, of have, having Jurgen as our coach for five years. And one of the things that we talked about specifically was that, okay, they fired Jurgen. This is before they had announced Jurgen's replacement, right? Gary said, okay, they fired Jurgen. They're going to put somebody that represents the status quo in place, be it, Bruce Arena, be it somebody else, and and he he kind of named off like the like you know the list of people, and you know Bruce Arena was the first name that he that he mentioned, and lo and behold, who got hired? Bruce Arena, and you know so it, but it, the message that that was sent right then is that we are returning to status quo, like we are we are returning to this, and it wasn't because of results at that point, even though that's what people are trying to trying to say. Jurgen had, maybe even still has. I can't remember if one of Bruce's wins pushed him a little, maybe like one percentage point above Jurgen. But you know, Jurgen had for the longest time the most winning, the highest winning percentage as a U.S. men's national team coach. So if they were citing results, that was you know false news. And um, what ultimately led to Jurgen being fired and and pushed out and pushed to the fringe, even before he got fired, he was he was being pushed to the fringe was that he was starting to do and say things that were against the status quo. And then as soon as they had an excuse, which were a couple of, a couple of unfortunate results, then 
they were able to remove Jurgen, remove the the squeaky wheel, and put somebody in in place that represented the status quo, which is Bruce Arena. But it sucks to be them because that guy shit the bed and and ruined it for everybody, right? So that's that's what started this this tornado of of you know terrible news basically for the for the u.s men's national team for it's going on you know three years i think two two and a half years it's i mean it's been it's been quite a while it started before um well, well before the trinidad and tobago game I and mean, it started when jurgen lost lost a couple games in a row so that's really the the start of the bad news cycle so it's been it's been quite a while um I want, it's, it's like a constant it's a constant balancing act yep. between maintaining status quo but also creating a perception that they think everyone will be pleased with yep and yep. and their decisions are very reactionary based on that yep I know that you uh you mentioned to me earlier that that there's been other teams that have suffered like these big catastrophes and have somehow you know, been able to kind of either keep themselves together or build themselves back up in a way that U S soccer hasn't seemed to do since failing to qualify for the world cup. And, and I wanted to see if you could, if you could kind of just re rehash those thoughts with, with me now that we're, uh, now that we're recording, because I feel like that was, that was super important. I feel like people would, uh, would get a kick out of hearing that. Yeah. So Italy, the Netherlands and us all failed to qualify for the world cup. Since that failure, the Netherlands uh, in the Nations League beat the World Cup champs France. They tied Germany. They beat England in the semifinal and ultimately lost to Portugal in the final. Uh, They're sitting atop their European 2020 qualifying group with five wins, zero draws and a loss. Um, So they've clearly bounced back and reestablished themselves as one of the you know, the global superpowers heading into the European championships uh, this, this next summer. And then Italy also, they, you know, I, I think it took them a little bit longer to bounce back, but they have, you know, they've dominated their, their European uh, championships qualifying group, um, which that's the expectation in Italy. Uh, Yeah, they've qualified with three games to go, eight wins, zero draws, zero losses, 25 goals for, and three goals against. So, yeah, you can say, you know, it's European qualifying, you know, there's not any big, big name countries in their group. But, you know, that's what's expected of Italy, and that's what they're doing. They're dominating going into the European Championships. But then you look at us and what we've done since our failure to qualify for the World Cup. We've lost to Mexico twice. We've lost to Venezuela. We've, we've lost to Jamaica and now most recently Canada. Uh, so it, it's clear we are nowhere near, you know, just Netherlands and Italy who had fallen from grace as global superpowers in, in soccer. They've bounced back and, and we're still way, way behind, light years behind. And again, we compete in the softest region in the world in CONCACAF. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's what I was thinking the entire time is that even even if the the minnow nations in Europe, the the, the nations that are competing for spots in, in UEFA's um, UEFA's qualifying uh, rounds, 
those are still stronger teams than we face in, in CONCACAF. H- hands down. Hands down, those are still teams that 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 are that are better than Guyana or better than you know these island nations that that we face in in Concacaf. So it's it's crazy, and that's and that's you know qualifying for their domestic tournament. I don't need to, I don't even think that USA has to qualify for for the things that that we participate in here. I think you know we're we're like a shoe in for you know the first rounds of a lot of things, and the Minnow nations fight against each other for qualification. Yeah, just like Italy dominating their their qualifying group, us in the Nations League for Concacaf, it should be all out dominance. You know, tons of goals for, minimal goals against, dominant performances, owning the ball, like having the opponent parked deep in their own half. We don't see that, so uh, I thought that that was a good comparison to make. Yeah, um, and and it was funny too because. In Ernie's address to the public, I don't even know how how that should be um, painted because it was just like a closed phone call with, with just media, which I feel like is like a kind of like a safe zone for U.S. soccer. Like they they host these like um, conference calls, and the media can call in, and you basically have to you get connected through like a like a circuit board kind of deal, and. Uh, and then, yeah, they, 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 it's very, um, not scripted, but like just, it's the same thing every single time, the same reporters, the same, the same format. Hey, you know, Ernie's going to talk for 10 minutes and then you guys can ask, uh, you know, certain people can ask questions or you can dial in with a question. It's very, it's very boring. Um, but I feel like that's kind of like their wheelhouse, their safe zone. Right. And so I think that's, I think that's how Ernie made his comments today. Was, was through a call like that. And, you know, one of the things that he said, like he cited was that, you know, these guys under Burhalter have demonstrated that they can play the type of soccer that you just talked about, Joey, which was, you know, this um, protagonist, keep them in, keep the defense pinned in their own end. You know, we dominate the ball. Like Ernie said that the guys have demonstrated they can play that. And what he cited was, you know, the first 25 minutes against Mexico. It's like that's fucking twenty five minutes against one opponent. We haven't done that. We haven't. We haven't. We haven't displayed that against anybody else at any other time. Uh, you know, to be that dominant, uh, even even in games when we're talking about like Cuba or, or things like that. It's like it's it, it's still it it still doesn't feel like you know we're even though we're winning five six seven zero. It doesn't feel like uh, I don't know. Like, like we're, you know, unbeatable at that point. It's just, it feels weird. And, you know, to, for, for Ernie to cite, you know, that, that first 25 minutes of Mexico in a game that we ultimately lost is, you know, I don't know. There's no other way to describe it, but laughable at, at this point, I think. So it's kind of it how is, I feel. Man. It is. It's laughable. He, he can't even point to a complete match, a complete match performance. He has to point out 25 minutes. Like he shouldn't have said anything about that. Exactly. Exactly. That's it's unreal, man. It's again, going back to, you know, trying to play to uh, a balancing act between maintaining status quo and the perception, like everything going into this Canada game is 
you know, hey, it's a it's a process. You know, things are we're progressing. Things are all good. If we lose, it's all good. No problem. It's one game. I'm I'm seeing positives. But yeah, for him to to reference 25 minutes against Mexico, it, <laughs> again, I I don't know. U.S. fans, I think we're smart enough to see right through that because it's bullshit, man. It it's complete bullshit. No, I I think so too, man. And there were, you know, if you if you go looking through the comments on on, um, I would say Stephen Goff is probably the person that got the, his his report probably got the most attention today, and people were you know retweeting re, retweeting that and retweeting with comment with that. But if if you go and you look at the comments on on, on some of the things on social media today, people do I think get it for for lack of better terms and they're starting to understand more of it. And, and there's one specifically that, that, that I highlighted actually. And I want to highlight again is that somebody pointed out like, okay, Ernie, like I see you, like you're saying Greg's job is protected. No problem. So if there's failure we're not going to point the finger at Greg. Now we're going to point the finger at you. And I, I felt like, you know, that to me was like, Whoa, like, you know, okay. Like people are starting to get it. Like if, if these guys are going to start, you know, publicly protecting the, the the U.S. men's national team for for losing and for not performing, okay, then you know, then the coach isn't the problem. The players certainly aren't the problem. It's it's the people that are higher up that are the problem, which I think we've been trying to hint at for for quite a while from from our uh, from our platforms is that it's it's not the players that are the problem you know it's the people that are that are selecting the people that are selecting the players so it's higher up the food chain that people need to be pointing their fingers at and and from the looks of things people are maybe starting to get it yeah i'll I'll say this they want us pointing the finger at burhalter they want us pointing the finger at ernie stewart that's why those guys are there as long as the attention is on them it's all good Going so going a little bit further on uh, Ernie Stewart's reference to the 25 minutes against Mexico, he he goes further and he says, uh, however, we need to do that over 90 minutes. That's something we're constantly talking about. The, that is something that I I share with my O sixes. Like, hey, we we have periods of a game where it's good, but we're not yet consistent over a full match. Like. That's that's the conversation that I have with my O six team. This is the U.S. men's national team, and this is the the state of where we're at. And this is coming straight from the national team general manager. Hey, we've had a good twenty five minutes, eh, but we can't quite put a full ninety minutes together. Oh, and by the way, we play in fucking Concacaf. Yep. Oh, it doesn't get you all fired up, man. It does, man. It does. Because it's it's always, it's just the same thing, you know? We, we thought that after the World Cup failure, you know, everyone thought, oh, okay, it's time to change. But no, things have just been tweaked, again, to play to the perception. Uh, but it's all the same. It's all the same. Yeah, Ernie Stewart's in place. Yeah, we got our new coach in Burhalter. But it, it nothing's different. And no. it's not going to change until you know something something big happens and and we had a chance to have some change and then we ultimately didn't and now some of the people that had a chance to be part of that change 
Stu Holden. Uh, you know, they're, they're starting to say these things publicly. Oh, yeah, like, you know, what's the deal with this comment about Greg Berhalter's job being safe? Blah, 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 blah. Hey, bud. Like, these are the people that you wanted to be there. These are, you know, this is that, that was Team Stu right there. And, and if you didn't like that, then, or if you don't like that, then, hey, you know, that's what, that's what you signed up for. So it's kind of, kind of disheartening to see that, or it's disingenuous. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe that's a, that's a, that's a play on, on that guy's part. So maybe it's just a disingenuous take from, from a guy like that, which I'm referencing some tweets that Stu Holden put out today that, uh, we're being semi-critical of of what Ernie Stewart came out and said. So, uh, just just yeah, kind of yeah. seems fake. I don't know. Some of the big media, big media players, you know, they they want to be seen as a a trusted source of information. Alex, so, Alexi, uh, Taylor, Stu, like they yeah, they're all they're all on their social media platforms pumping some some uh, like like bits and pieces of anti federation stuff. Yeah, so when things go far enough in the wrong direction, they'll they'll say something about it. They'll say something about it, trying to, um, again, stay, uh, be perceived to the general soccer public that they are a legit source of information. But you know, they'll 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 never really go deep into the issues that we face here in American soccer. So. Yeah, Stu's looked kind of silly in what he's said recently because he played an integral role in, uh, you know, the, the current the current president that's uh, of U.S. soccer. So for him to come out and say stuff, it's like, yeah, people people are responding to him saying, "Dude, you were the one. You had a you played a big role in things being the way that they are." So what are you talking about? Yeah, it, it seems. The general soccer public is becoming more and more educated, and I see it. It's a positive thing, man. It needs to continue to to head in that direction if you know we're going to see change ultimately. Anything else on the on the recent news and, and happenings in U.S. soccer before before they go and they play Canada this Friday? No, I think we touched on it all uh, going into the game. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens, man. All right. Sorry. I was finished my sip of wine. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. Canada this Friday, 4 PM Pacific from Orlando. You can catch that on, on three different networks too, that are in Spanish, which I find interesting. Um, and, and then on ESPN too. So, uh, we'll be back after, after that broadcast for our recap of the game and then the lead in to, uh, to the next game, which is against Cuba. I mean, anything can happen, right? Um, which, you know, that, that should be a, a clear cut victory for the United States, but we'll see what happens against Canada. I feel like that's going to be a more interesting game to talk about, uh, no matter what. One more thing, actually, I wanted to bring up about Canada is I saw somebody tweeting about the status of some of the Canadian players and, like uh, at least like a quarter of the roster hasn't even played since the last time that they played the United States. Like that's the, that's, you know, the, the status either that the, some of these guys were on in their MLS teams or, you know, their MLS team has been out of season cause they didn't make the playoffs or, you know, they're not in good standing with the, with the teams that, that, that they're on whatever, you know, maybe they weren't getting minutes. 
So like half the Canadian, maybe a little bit less than half the Canadian team hasn't even played since the last time we played them. So that's just another piece to add to the puzzle. And, and you know, who knows what's going to happen. But if, if if we lose against Canada again and we lose to some guys that haven't even played, oh, my God. <sighs> let, let, let's let's see what the, the media reaction is to whatever the result mm-hmm. turns out to be. But it'll be interesting to see how how they react to it. Yep. Yep. All right, Joey Cassio. Uh, if people want to join the conversation, they know where to find us. If not, I'll tell them right now. Cassio underscore FG on Twitter. That's at C-A-S-C-I-O underscore FG. If you want to tag Joey and something to get a conversation going, and you can always reach me at that Croatian guy. And we post all these episodes on 343coaching.com. You can always join in the comments there, or you can just go there and you can find all of our podcast episodes, over 200 podcast episodes at this point. We have over 200 uh, written articles that dive deep into the U.S. soccer system and what is right, what is wrong, what people need to know about American soccer. And then we also offer a free seven-week coaching course and our premium coaching course, which is for ambitious coaches that want to learn how to coach soccer the right way from the people that have proven it on the field. So... All that is available at 343coaching.com. Joey Cassio, thank you for joining me again for one of these episodes. Appreciate it, man. Until next time, John. Until next time, dude. All right. Thank you guys for listening. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. If you are interested in accelerating your development as a coach and learning more about possession-based soccer, you can visit 343coaching.com and sign up for our premium coaching membership program. That is where you will get access to video, audio, and ebook lessons that will help you reduce your trial and error time by showing you the methods that have been proven to work in the American soccer environment. So once again, if you are an ambitious coach and you want to start learning the tried and true methods that have already been proven to work in the American soccer environment, you can visit 343coaching.com to learn more about our coaching programs. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we will catch you next time.